You're listening to I Feel For You. I'm Dion, a creative coach, yoga, movement and meditation teacher, writer, DJ and human being. And we're back. It's been a few weeks and I've been traveling, DJing mostly in Norway in the last few weeks. But to be honest, that's not really an excuse. I have had this episode ready to go for ages and then fell into a kind of, hmm, a kind of well and kind of just going through some stuff, some challenging stuff. And you know how it can be when things are feeling difficult, um, can lose confidence and perhaps question yourself and what you're doing. And so there's been a lot of that, um, licking my wounds and trying to come back stronger, trying to listen to my own advice. I think it was I Feel For You podcast episode number 43 and 44, I think, which is to do with dark nights of the soul, dealing with disappointment, recovering from setbacks and so on. There's a zine that I made about that and using creativity to overcome setbacks. So a lot of that work, I mean, 2019, man. Anyway, this episode was recorded a little while back and I've been sitting on it and I've been sitting on it wondering whether to share it and um, a good friend of mine, shout out to Andrea, said that I should Fineman said I should and I guess I asked my guts and my cards and all of those things and they said I should too. I mean this is nothing new but it's kind of new I suppose. I'm sharing a bit of a story time and a bit of real talk and uh, some highlights or uh, insights to my life in the Caribbean which I guess I haven't spoken about that much so I really hope this is going to be interesting, insightful and hopefully useful to you. I would love to know what you think so at the end I've got a couple of questions for you yeah let me know get in touch you can find the show notes to this episode at ifeelforyoupodcast.com or head to my website dion.space this is episode number 54 it's so nice to be back thank you for all your support with this podcast it means the world truly I appreciate you thank you for listening Do you hold open the door? I used to work in a shop on Saturdays, Sundays and weekday evenings from the age of 11. It was a shop that sold all kinds of things. Rice, white sugar, brown sugar, flour, salt fish, glass bottled sodas, cooking oil, soap, blue, which is a kind of soap from years past, rum, corn curls, which were an Eastern Caribbean version of what's it, crisps, kind of cheese puffs. Is that advertising? Hopefully not. One brand of toothpaste, lentils, frozen chicken thighs and wings, butter in brown baking paper, yeasts and more. I weighed out loose ingredients on the old school salter scales, learning how to use weights to measure the ingredients and jotted sums on the A3 paper that was part maths pad, part receipt and part wrapping tool. I loved the action of pouring the varying textures of the items into paper bags, sealing them well so sugar ants wouldn't get a look in and preparing someone's shopping list as they looked on, satisfied with my swift and diligent work. I quickly adapted and got familiar with the beautifully designed currency of the Eastern Caribbean dollar with squiggly five cent pieces, which were my favourite. 
adjusted too to varying measurements in kilograms and pounds, litres and pints. All of these tasks were also useful for my studies at school. And this job also paid my way to support the household. It covered the costs for my food and also for my bus to school. Said bus was actually a van, which was how most people got around on the island. An hour a day to ride to the capital, Kingstown, where I went to school. I became, at age 11, acutely aware of colourism. After arriving from the UK and my entire childhood haunted by racism from going to all-white schools and bullying for being a nigger, a packy, and insert all kinds of racist slurs here that range countries and ethnic groups as well as religions, side note, being called a Buddha as a slur was surely an example of the best, most ignorant jibe and I recall laughing at the girl who delivered it in the playground in front of all her other apparently cool and popular friends who were all in the upper years hungrily awaiting my crumble. I, thanking her, purposefully made my smile as wide as could be and asked if she was sure she didn't want to add any other denomination of religion to the group of ethnicities and faiths she articulated so passionately. It wasn't an insult to me. To which she flushed and spat and screamed in fury. She had no comeback, and her so-called popular mates looked embarrassed for her. Also, unexpected in realising the weirdo brown girl had a point that they didn't quite understand either. I get it. I was mocking her ignorance. I think she deserved it, though. Anyway, back to the bus, which was a van, which was kind of a silver grey mobile entitled Isolita, scribed in red paint on the front of the bus. See, each bus come van had an identity of its own. Beautiful artwork to seal that identity of each vehicle. And if there were funds, the interiors also upholstered in brand colours. The vans I wanted to travel in had dark windows and ridiculous sound systems you'd hear before you saw coming via the mountain, signalling that your ride was on its way. Isolita had neither. It was a sensible van, smart and functional, Respectable, I guess. Branding's important, huh? So one time, Isolita didn't show up. Not uncommon. The driver was kind of on his own schedule and I'd often be waiting in the capital with a backup dollar if it got too late so I could get another ride and I needed to get back to work for a shift at the shop. So I pulled over one of the cool vans and I went to find a seat, but it was full. So full, which wasn't unusual again at rush hour. These vans were people carriers, and at rush hour it wasn't uncommon to see the full capacity vans passing by, bums hanging out of windows because people were packed in so tight, any body part sought out viable space. So I stood in that full van, and immediately the young conductor asked a dark-skinned elder to stand so I could sit. I looked at him incredulously. What? No, I won't. I shan't. The woman skulked out of the way to crouch near the floor. She'd clearly done this before. Why should I get a seat and not her? I was horrified, and back then a little less fearless to run my mouth. So I gave him and the van a talking to, a whole audience, because no one said a word. I chose to leave the seat empty, instead huddling in a corner and urgently pleaded with the woman to take the seat. The woman sat back down and made eye contact with me. I felt embarrassed and ashamed. How dare I get to take her place? How dare I receive privilege because of being light-skinned slash clear slash red or white girl as I was called? It was my introduction to a world where I'd always been at the receiving end of racism whilst living in white spaces, yet waking up to realise that there were people who had it worse than me 
and it was my responsibility to do something about it. It makes no sense to me that the world that we live in still affords entitlement to some over others based on skin colour and hair texture. I'm also shocked that being on both sides and experiencing hatred delivered from gangs of white racists and yet also being the preferred, I quote in air quotes, ridiculous air quotes, being the preferred black and thus receiver of benefits over someone darker skin than I. I understand of observing when nobody steps in, has your back or challenges the status quo. I've been in so many situations, for example, working in Norway in a coffee shop, a guy walked in and just called me a nigger. Nobody did anything. In fact, they did do something. They all looked away. The whole cafe was packed full. I was on my own. I looked around pleading with people to help me. Nobody did. They decided that their comfort was more important than actually standing up and doing something. They were more content to be comfortable and apathetic. And these are the people that frighten me the most. These are the people who deem themselves liberal and living within a progressive society and yet do nothing because they see that rocking the boat is somehow confrontational and confronting things is bad. For people that are trying to demand justice and take action in the world, they're painted as criminals. And it's wild to me. It's so wild. And I think so much of this behavior is rooted with those who have privilege, white privilege, and knowing that they don't really want to surrender that position. You know, and I have white privilege. I have light skinned privilege, you know, and that that is an example in action of me being on this bus and being afforded certain privileges, literally in plain sight. This is not the kind of world I want to live in. Almost 40 years of it. And I can vouch that being at the brunt of white supremacy is shit. And benefiting from white supremacy is also shit. Either way, we lose and we must do better. So I'm acutely aware of my responsibility to use my voice as a light-skinned black woman, mixed race, whatever that actually means, because it literally means you don't exist, which is laughable, because race is not real. And I have a responsibility to offer up my seat when I'm in a room where I hold privilege, to pass the mic, if you prefer that phrase. I feel acutely aware of knowing that when I show up in my work, which tends to be mostly white dominant spaces in terms of popularity, if you like, that by showing up in all those yoga teacher training rooms over the years and often most of the time, like 99% of the time, being the only brown face by DJing in all white venues, by showing up for my clients, being the only black coach or yoga teacher or woman DJ or polymath if they've ever met. I don't like having to be an example for my race. I mean, as I said, race is a construct. We all know that. But I do know that all of the shit I've been dealt with from being a minority in white dominant spaces is to hopefully make it easier for those who come after me. So they hopefully do not feel as isolated. They do not hopefully feel as tokenized or objectified and hopefully not receive as much resistance. I want us all to win. And I'm especially aware of my position, even though I'm still wading through the resistance. But there are many others who are behind me, not in ranking or trying to say I'm better or advanced, but more so people who are wanting to step into industries where they don't feel represented by, according to the dominant ideologies at play that have often co-opted what is culturally known and felt to be theirs in the first place. Case study wellness. I mean, look at the wellness industry. Do we need to talk about it? I think you know what I'm talking about. 
when we look at all of these trends, it's like a collective eye roll from the diaspora of like, we've been doing this for time. This is stuff that my nan did. This is stuff that I did. This is stuff I've grown up with. And yet somehow it's being co-opted. It's being commodified and sold on. People are making big profits on this. Yet when we were growing up, we were ridiculed for this stuff. This is a whole thing, but I think you know what I mean. And so with all of that, holding space for it all, let's take a deep breath. Because it's a lot. So here's my commitment, in case it wasn't clear. I will hold doors open, give up my seat, pass the mic. For every time I've wished that someone would have done that for me on this journey, I will show up and use my resistance to support others, to champion black women, indigenous women, queer, trans, two-spirit, black, indigenous people of colour, our trans community, our differently abled fam. I'll elevate the voices of others, not do it for them, but hold space for them to speak for themselves share their work, appreciate them in action. And for all the times my own work has been secretly observed, copied, stolen, passed on, etc. I've thought long and hard about why that happened, but also what could have been done differently? How could people have passed the mic to me? What could they have done better? And here's some things that I think could be useful. So first of all, white people, I'm talking to you now. Who do you work with? Who are you friends with? Are your circles pure white? If so, there's a problem. And I'm not saying to go out and find some colour to pepper and season up your life, spice up your life, if you will. I'm talking about asking questions like from the top down, bottom up. What is the problem? Why is it that you have (laughs) no access to anyone who doesn't look like you? I've been in and worked within so many institutions that have this issue whenever I've asked questions. All I've had is white tears and been accused of being too separatist, being too radical for asking questions. And I don't know, I find it wild. I find it strange that it's 2019 and that places can still exist and be completely white. So... Second of all, this kind of goes with two and three. Listen to, hire and pay black women. If you are benefiting, learning, getting access to, being informed about something, are you showing your appreciation, i.e. are you paying for it? Or are you just expecting black women to give you free labour, emotional, physical, spiritual, etc.? And actually, I know there's a lot of people that have done that with me over the years. They will take and then expect me to keep giving for free. And then when it comes to asking for being paid for something, they're quick to say, it's very expensive. That's too much money. They don't want to pay for it. You know what I mean? That's quite insulting when you've had years of someone giving you free labor, free information, free access. Because what it shows is that you expect that. You see black people as less and therefore that you should be entitled to receiving that for free. So take a look at that. Also, what are you doing to 
be a true activist. I don't really like the word ally because it feels a little bit lazy to me, especially like as a sort of sash that white people can wear to feel good saviorist do you know what I mean Stacey Dooley I'm looking at you in particular I didn't know who you were until this whole (sighs) pandemonium with comic relief and you using black babies as props to make yourself look good this is shade but it's also the truth so swallow it with as a difficult pill if you will but what are you doing in order to challenge racism what are you doing to dismantle white supremacy Look at how you're benefiting. What are you repaying? What are you offering reparations to? And what are you doing to dismantle this system where you benefit? And you do. And if you don't recognize that, then you really, really need to do some work. You need to start reading. You need to start looking at resources. And please know that over the years, I have shared so many. I've pointed you to resources. I've pointed you to people who are also offering that resources and people that you can hire to offer you that information. So if you are coming with, I don't know where to look, well, you should tell me what to do. Let's start there. (laughs) Google is free. So go on with your bad self and start doing the work. We need you to show up. We need you to pay attention. We need you to listen, to not react, to be defensive and to check on that fragility, you know, white fragility. It's more common than you think. And if you think you are super liberal, super woke, then I'd especially ask you to take a hard look because often, in my experience, it seems that those are the people that tend to be most triggered when I talk about this stuff. So... Other ways to pass the mic. What have we got? Yeah, pay black women, listen to black women, um, reparations, work on yourself, look around you, look at what the problem is and talk with your friends, talk with your other white friends about this. You know, don't expect black women or black people, in fact, or brown people to prop you up and to support you with this journey. You know, if you receive help, which you probably will do, don't expect it. Don't don't uh, take that for granted you know, do your own work, do your own research. And please show up. We need you. We're tired. I don't want to speak for anyone, actually. Let me rephrase that. I'm tired. So yeah. How can we pass the mic? And I'm saying all of this stuff and I can already feel the defensiveness. So let me also remind you about this episode. I'm talking about how I am committing to opening the door. And this is a journey that is a continuous lifelong journey. Mine began aged 11. That doesn't mean I'm any more woke than anyone else. I'm absolutely on my own journey, as are you. So if it's about comparing yourself and feeling that white guilt, then please put that aside because we need your focus and attention and your energy to be on the mission of working to dismantle the systems that are in place that mean that people, black people in particular, are oppressed. They're not afforded the same opportunities as you. They're not paid the same. Life is different. Racism exists. Welcome 2019. (laughs) In case you didn't know already. So yeah, this was an episode. I could keep speaking on this, but I feel like I'm going to leave it there because there's lots to be looking at and exploring and getting on with. 
I hope it's been useful for you. I would love to know what you're committing to, to hold open the door for others on the journey. And for those of you who are black women out there listening, I'm interested too in your experience in holding the door open. I'm thinking that today our beloved Toni Morrison passed away and I'm thinking about what she speaks about in relationship to freedom and how freedom really is how we hold space for other people we think about the people coming behind us who's coming through the door behind us and so I'm wondering about your journey and your experience have you been the pioneer or have you found mentorship or sisterhood or relationship with others who have held the door open I would love to know about your stories. So yeah, that's it. I hope there's been something here. (laughs) Thanks for listening. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you.